Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 85. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. I would argue that I was like borderline, like I'm either going to die or I'm going to get better. Like it was dark and I decided to get better. Hello, veggie lovers. Happy Sunday. I hope that you are doing plantastic today. We are back with another great episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. And in this episode, I talk with Kara Cefeli, who is a certified health coach and an anti-diet coach. And I think you're going to love this conversation just to get to know her. She's super caring and loving and has some great things to say. We have a wonderful conversation. Hopefully you'll really enjoy it. But before I get to that, I just want to invite you to sign up for my newsletter. There's two ways to do it. You can either text the word fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to the number 66866. Again, that's the word fiber. Remember, fiber is my favorite F word, to 66866. Or you can go to my website, dryami.com forward slash sign up. And that's D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash sign up. I send a newsletter every week, but there should be some goodies coming soon, some information that you guys might want to know, places that I'm going to be speaking, and a summit that I'm going to be on very soon. So if you want to hear about that first and have all the inside knowledge and information, then please sign up for my newsletter. I promise I do not send annoying things. Well, hopefully it's not annoying. I don't know. I think it's not annoying. You can judge for yourself. And if you think it's annoying, then you can unsubscribe. See? The risk is very low. I also want to take a moment to give a shout out to Amy Zutenhorst, who left a five-star review for my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. Remember, it's available on all the major platforms where you can buy books. This review is from Amazon.com. She titled it, Great for Parents of All Ages. This book is essential for all parents of babies through young adults. The way I feed my toddler has already changed for the better after reading this book. 
I also am more mindful of my relationship with my health and food and how that affects my young son. Thank you, Dr. Yami, for writing such an impactful book. Thank you, Amy, for that warm review. And I'm so, so happy that it's helping you. And if you are listening to this and you haven't gotten my book and you feel that it could help you, whether it's your own relationship with food and your body or helping your children develop a positive relationship with food and their body, I invite you to think about purchasing my book. If you're in the Yakima area, you can come on into my office or go to Inklings. They have several copies at Inklings or you can order it online in any major bookseller. If you've already read it, I would love if you can take a moment and write a review. It really helps me. It helps other people, other mamas and dads out there that really want this information to find the book. Tell your friends about it, share it. I really, really appreciate you. I know I ask you guys favors all the time, but I really, really appreciate you helping spread this knowledge so that we can help decrease suffering and increase joy in this world. And of course, more eating of plants. For my usual disclaimer, remember that this podcast is not giving medical advice, I do recommend that you follow the recommendations of your own healthcare provider. And that is what we should all be doing is we should all be going to our physicians and getting official medical advice, but this is meant for informational and educational purposes. All right. So let's talk about Kara Karen Cefeli. I love that triple C's for her initials is a certified health coach, holistic nutritionist, chef, author, podcast host, and avocado toast lover. We even talk about avocados in the podcast. So that's how much she loves avocados. Kara passionately provides the tools to help women leave behind dieting, disordered eating, and body shame so that they can show up more fully in all areas of their life. She inspires others to leave behind society's expectations as she guides them into their most confident and vibrant versions of themselves. The self-taught chef learned how to love food again as she was recovering from an eating disorder that she struggled with for 10 years, which she touches on in her new book, Vegan Buddha Bowls. Kara took her daily pain and struggle and turned it into her life's work. She quickly learned how easy and exciting healthy eating could be, and she wanted to share this with others. She took her delicious recipes to social media, where she has thousands of people waiting for her to share her next plant-based creation. As the demand for more recipes grew, Kara knew it was time to write a cookbook. Enter Vegan Buddha Bowls. Vegan Buddha Bowls includes delicious plant-based recipes that Kara has personally made and created with easy to find ingredients with a few unique ones to hopefully bring something new to the reader's pantry. You will find Buddha Bowls, nourishing salad bowls, veggie rich pasta bowls, energizing breakfast bowls, simple delicious sides, plant powered soups, and so much more. All right, is anybody else hungry? Cause seriously, I'm definitely wanting to eat some of these Buddha Bowls. Kara and I have a wonderful conversation. We talk about her journey, her history of an eating disorder, her recovery, and what she does now to help women who struggle. We also talk about Buddha bowls. We talk about body confidence, body acceptance, and self-love, and lots of interesting things. I know that you'll really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's launch in. 
Kara, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am so excited to get to know you a little more. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, Dr. Yemi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Well, tell me about your story. Tell me how you got to where you are now with what you do with anti-diet coaching and now this new book that you have coming out. I want to get to know you just a little bit more. Yeah. So I'd say the first kind of dot in like the string of dots that connected to get me to where I am now was around age 14, 15, when I started to restrict food and eventually went on to develop an eating disorder. And it started very casually with just feeling like my body was changing and I was uncomfortable with the changes. And I was like really exposed to magazines and media and fashion. And so I got these messages pretty young um, that what you looked like mattered and that people were paying attention. And so I started to restrict food to try to control what I looked like. And that snowballed, like I had said, into a full-blown eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, binging and purging, and a lot of discomfort in my own skin, a lot of natural insecurities that people in their teenage years experience going to high school, and then a really extreme amount of insecurity around my body, which at the root was a huge contributor to the eating disorder. And that was with me for about 10 years. And then I hit a rock bottom. I got to this place where my life was just so difficult. Everyday life was difficult because of the controlling of the food, the thinking about the food, not liking myself, being so uncomfortable with what I looked like and thinking that people wouldn't like me if I didn't look a certain way. And it really was holding me back from enjoying what was otherwise like a pretty great life. Um, I had a good job. I had friends. I had a boyfriend. I lived in California, which I had always dreamed of living in Southern California growing up. And it was really hard for me to enjoy what was in front of me. And I hit a rock bottom and decided like enough is enough. Like I can't keep living like this. I would argue that I was like borderline, like I'm either going to die or I'm going to get better. Like it was dark and I decided to get better and spent three years in the recovery process. And something that was really helpful for me in that recovery process was I had stumbled across Colin T. Campbell's book, The China mm-hmm. Study. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to read like the spectrum and I stumbled across a bunch of documentaries on Netflix, which seems to happen to us. And Mm -hmm. I had discovered plant-based eating, which was foreign to me. I had never heard of plant-based eating. I'd never heard of veganism. And one of the reasons why it really helped me particularly um, is that it helped me make peace with carbs. So carbs were my biggest fear food. I was, it was all about Atkins. It was all about not eating bread, not eating potatoes, not eating certain fruit because it was too high in sugar. And so I was just really afraid of carbs in addition to, you know, like the fast food carbs, like the French fries and stuff, but even like whole food carbs, like I was just terrified of them. And while I know that plant-based eating is it necessarily going to help everybody who has an eating disorder? For some people, it could be restrictive and maybe be triggering for them. It wasn't that case for me. It was actually something that really helped me make, make peace with carbs. I was like, oh, I can eat a potato and like be okay about it. 
Like I don't have to worry about the fact that I ate it. Like I don't have to worry about what it's going to do to my body. It's actually nourishing my body. Like this is going to help me take care of myself, like make sure that I get all of the nutrients that I need. And so it inspired me to have the way that I was eating be a way to take care of myself. It it shifted into self-care instead of being self-control. And so it was a really paradigm shifting discovery. Like by the graces of God, I stumbled upon this. I don't even remember exactly how really. Um, and I started to fill myself up with all of these foods that I was learning about that provided my body with nutrients. So it wasn't about weight loss anymore. Prior to that point, eating was just about what can I eat and what can, what should I not eat and what amounts so that I stay s- small. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I can take care of my hair, my skin, my eyes, my organs, my heart, my lungs, like my joints, like all of these things. And it helped me get to a place where I wasn't throwing up every single day. I was like, this is good for me. I'm going to keep it in my body. I was also very sort of rebellious against the food industry. I'd watched like Food Inc. And part of that rebellious anger was helpful for me. You know, that anger that I was feeling about like government subsidies and about the environment and about the treatment of animals, that anger was transformative because for a first time in a long time, I wasn't angry at myself. Mm. I wasn't angry at my body for not being what I wanted it to be. I was actually angry about something outside of myself. And it allowed me to take some of the pressure off of me and what I looked like, because all of a sudden I was like, oh, I care about this thing outside of myself and I want to be an activist for change. Mm -hmm. And I want to support what I stand for. And so those components were incredibly helpful. Now, in addition, I did do other personal development work that eventually led to coaching that helped me deal with the other contributing factors of like the childhood trauma that I had experienced growing up, the things that I had witnessed between my parents. And eventually through various pivots and careers, I found my way to health coaching about seven years after my recovery process and discovered health at every size. And I was in a health coach certification program and intuitive eating was one of the required books. So I had never heard of intuitive eating in recovery. And it just like opened up Pandora's box to this whole world of, of anti-diet, of intuitive eating, of health at every size. And it, again, another profound paradigm shifting moment. And eventually I started health coaching and getting on Instagram and one thing led to another and you know, wrote the cookbook that uh, comes out today, actually, as we're recording this. And yeah. Wow. Congratulations. I love that story. That's a beautiful story. And there's lots of things I want to ask you, but I want to take you back to the beginning of whenever you first started dieting. Do you remember having any dieting role models? Did you learn to diet from other people, friends or family? Yeah. My mom was an avid dieter. I grew up with Slim Fast in the house. My mom and her sisters were very vocal about their disgust and distaste for their cellulite. They had an inside joke and they called it Kittle Thighs because their maiden name is Kittle. And so it was like this thing that you had as a woman if you were a Kittle and it was just gross and disgusting and they were exercising, always trying to get rid of it, always watching what they were eating. And... um yeah, my mom was very vocal about her own body image. She made a lot of comments on my body and 
while they were like nice comments often like, Oh, you're so skinny. It made me think about my body more. It made me hyper aware. It made me be like, Oh, this matters. People are looking, people are paying attention. And it made me self-objectify myself very young. And it was one of the most common forms of validation I received. I didn't receive a lot of validation for my grades or for my athleticism. And it was mostly you're tall, you're thin, you're lucky, whatever. And so I just became really focused on my appearance. And I don't blame my aunts or my moms, but I can see how it played a massive role. Yeah. Yeah. And I asked because that's very common. I mean, my story is very similar. And when I hear your story, my heart, I just feel so much compassion for our moms and our family members because it really comes from a place of pain, right? We've been conditioned to hate our bodies. It's normal. It's, it's this whole fat talk phenomenon that it's normal for us to get together as women and sometimes also men and talk about what parts of our bodies we don't like. But then what we also do sometimes to our children, just like you said, is we start trying to validate the physical traits that we want to see more of. And just like you said, that can backfire as well. So I think we have to be really cautious because we want to praise our kids. We want to tell them all the things that we like about them. But when we focus too much on appearance, it can create a pressure for them to maintain that. Or they start thinking, wow, that must be more important than I thought it was. Being this size must be really important. I'm really scared to not be the size, you know, because that means it's really good. Um, so we just have to be really careful. And I know all you moms out there, you just love your kids so much and you want so much for them. So I'm not trying to blame or shame anybody, just something to think about whenever you are talking to your children or about yourself in front of your children or other people that this can affect other people's perceptions of their own bodies. So thank you so much for letting me digress there on that point because it's so important. So then you went through this, you went through recovery, you found plant-based eating that really resonated with you. You were able to take the focus off of yourself onto something else. And I think that that's really cool, you know, like being able to look at the food industry and being like, well, really, this is a big problem. And refocusing your attention. Then you said that when you discovered intuitive eating, it kind of opened your eyes. But do you feel like after you're during your recovery and as you learned about plant-based nutrition, did you accidentally start practicing intuitive eating? Or do you feel like at that point you were still very focused on eating certain portions or how, how did that go for you? Yeah, it was a gradual process. It took me, it really took me three years. So from the moment I decided I want to get better, like I'm committing to getting better for real to where I felt like really solid and really highly recovered. And it was a gradual process of reconnecting to hunger and fullness. So I think that I, without having any awareness of intuitive eating, started practicing intuitive eating with foods that I felt okay with. Mm -hmm. So I definitely went slow. I was methodical about it. I was 
a little bit hyper-focused on food quality. So someone maybe looking at me could have judged that as being borderline orthorexia. Mm -hmm. I was definitely like very paying attention to food quality, but it was really foundational for me in getting to a place where I was eating adequately and consistently and keeping the food down. And I think it was something that I just intuitively started doing without Mm -hmm. having full awareness of what I was doing. And over time, I got to a place where like, I wasn't thinking about food. It wasn't that big of a deal. I just would eat what I wanted. You know, was starting to enjoy all of the yummy vegan treats in LA. So there's a massive vegan scene here. And there's like all kinds of like yummy, you know, like vegan ice cream and like vegan grilled cheese and all of these really fun plant-based foods. And I started to expose myself to more of those. Um, So it was... I did it without knowing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I did it in like a very slow, methodical, personal way. Mm -hmm. And when I discovered intuitive eating, I was like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I I love how that happened for you, that you were able to really tune into yourself to find that path. I mean, that makes it, that solidifies it so well that you were able to discover that there was something within you that knew the way to do it that was right for your own well-being. That's wonderful. All right, so you describe yourself as an anti-diet coach. What does that mean? Mm, yeah, it's so great. Such a great question. So I've recently taken on this sort of persona of like, yeah, I'm, I'm really steadfast in the anti-diet space. So from my own personal you know, uh, um, idea of it, it's not having such a focus on weight loss or focus on intentional weight loss. So it's, it's, it's not like anti weight loss, but it's anti weight focused. Mm -hmm. And so we're not using weight loss as the main barometer of improvements in health. I also look at it as something that promotes intuitive eating and honoring your body's cravings and desires and tuning in to find that sweet spot of satisfaction and nourishment. And I believe that it also focuses on who you are as an individual and taking so much of the attention off of what you look like. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that health is so much more than just um, how much you eat and how much you exercise, but it's your mental health, it's your emotional health, it's your relationships, it's how much stigma impacts you or your socioeconomic status impacts you. And it takes a really holistic approach. But I'd say like the foundational pieces of it is that it's not all about weight loss. Mm-hmm. And it's about yeah. taking care of your whole being and not just focusing on the scale changing. Yeah, because just as you had discovered in your own journey, that whenever we focus on the weight loss, we end up making decisions that often are contrary to our well-being, right? So you ended pretty much down in the dumps before you were able to rise up through recovery. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. Do you have a definition of a diet that you use for your clients? And um, if do you have a different way that you talk about our food choices? Like, is there a different term that you use for like a way of eating or food choices that you use with your clients? Yeah. So when I, how I've learned about what a diet is from the anti-diet perspective is that it's something that is solely focused on the amounts of foods 
that you're eating and it has the sole focus of making weight loss occur. Mm -hmm. So it's any way of eating, any way of manipulating your food that is predominantly focused on making your body smaller. Mm -hmm. And it sees any changes in weight with, for whatever reason, how they occur as good Mm -hmm. and positive. And then do you, is there a different way that you define it for the style of eating that you, somebody chooses? Yeah. So I, when I think about like the, like your diet, like the way that you eat, as opposed to being on a diet, Mm -hmm. I like to think about it as, as foods that make you feel good. Mm -hmm. Like what actually makes you feel good? Like if you can take away the morality of like, I'm so good for eating this, I'm so bad for eating that. And you just tune into how foods make you feel. That's what I always hope to guide my clients to Mm -hmm. is ultimately what's going to work for them and allow them to have a joyful, happy relationship with food. And for some people that looks like plant-based eating and that's great. For some people it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I try to honor and respect everybody and what works for them. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I try to focus more on just what, how it makes you feel and take that morality out of it. Cause we have so much charge around certain types of foods. Yes. Because when we're dieting for weight loss, we completely lose touch with our own intuition. We completely lose touch with how things make us feel because we're just following a plan, right? Follow the plan, see if it helps us lose weight or based on the promise that it'll help us lose weight. And then we just do that regardless of how we're feeling about it, right? Because most of the time it doesn't feel good. Tell me about carb phobia. Do you experience that a lot as an anti-diet coach? Yeah, I think that that might be the biggest one. It's like carb and sugar. Mm-hmm. Like we're really afraid of carbs and sugar. And while I absolutely understand the health implications and the research that we have around high fructose corn syrup and all the added sugars and all of our foods, I often think that the fear mongering and the fear that we have around sugar is not helping. I think if anything, it's, it's puts it on a pedestal and makes us hyper-focused. And I feel like for most of the women that I work with, it makes us want it more. Mm-hmm. When we say we can't have something we just want it more. It's like if you were to take something away from a child or if you were to be in the room with a child and there's a ton of toys and you're on your phone, it's like they want the phone. They want what they quote can't have. And so I, I, when it comes to carbs and sugar, we're told that those are like, you know, enemy number one for our weight, that they are like the leading cause of weight gain is carbs and sugar. And so I think that it's, very common to be afraid to eat anything that it quote, like isn't a good carb. And if we are eating the good carbs, we need to watch our portion sizes and stuff like that. And I find that that again, like you had mentioned, disconnects us from our body's wisdom. It disconnects us from what amount makes us feel satisfied and nourished. And what I have found is that when we are less afraid, we end up enjoying it more and often not eating it as much, not binging on it, not feeling crazy around it. Mm -hmm. Or even the opposite, realizing that we actually didn't like it that much. Yes. We just thought we did because it was off limits, right? That happened to me with Halloween candy. When I did the experiment where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let myself have Halloween candy, eat it, you know, when I want it, stop when I don't want anymore. It was, that's all I needed. After that, I was like, Halloween candy is really like cheap and gross. And if I'm going to have chocolate, I'm going to have high. It's like I became, I like suddenly overnight became like this, like 
candy snob. But I'm, I, it's like, why am I binging on this crap? It's so gross, you know? Like, that's what I thought, you know, to myself. I'm not trying to food shame anybody if you like Halloween candy. But right, um, yeah. I think whenever you fully allow yourself, give yourself permission to eat something and experience it, then you can actually make the decision about whether you like it or not. You know, you're not just eating it because it's like this bad food that you're not supposed to have. I mean, it's just like total crazy psychology, psychology mind stuff. It's like so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love that last thing that you had said, like you actually get your power of choice back Mm -hmm. and you actually get to distinguish, like, do I even actually like this now that I'm not eating it out of rebellion or eating it because diet starts tomorrow? Yeah. 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 It's it's fascinating. So I think that's all great. And obviously it's definitely what I believe, but unfortunately we live in a society that really embraces a thin ideal and promotes a thin ideal and also promotes a certain um, perception of what quote healthy looks like. So say say somebody wants to embrace anti-dieting. They want to stop dieting. They want to learn intuitive eating. They want to learn how to tune into their own wisdom. How do they navigate that with living in a culture where you constantly are bombarded with messages of you should be thinner in order to be healthy and in order to be accepted? Yeah, this is such a great question. And I want to preface it by saying that as someone who fits that ideal, I can't personally fully know what it's like to be in a a body that's stigmatized and to be in Mm -hmm. a body that's marginalized and automatically judged and had assumptions made about it in a negative way. Mm -hmm. So I want to preface it with that. Now, in my experience, what I've learned from reading about others' experiences, from my own experience helping other clients is that it's really, really hard. It's really hard to change your mindset around what healthy is when you've been told your whole life that healthy looks a certain way. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. And when you've had this fixed image in your mind of what health looks like, and then you know that most of the people around you also have that fixed way of looking at health, it can be challenging to really stand up for yourself. It can be challenging to step outside of that thinner is better paradigm, that thinness is equals healthy paradigm that so many of us are used to. And so I, I want to preface it with that first, is that it's challenging and it's hard. One of the things that I think is really helpful is clearing up your environment. So like unfollowing certain people on Instagram not reading certain magazines or certain TV shows, creating boundaries with people who are 
talking about weight and food and health in a certain way. It might mean that you have to find a health at every size doctor or practitioner to start going to, because I know that sometimes going to the doctor, you can have weight loss prescribed without having your symptoms looked at. You know, a doctor immediately just being like, well, if you just lost weight, this would go away and them disregarding what you're actually feeling. And so I think that it, community is incredibly important is finding other people who embrace the anti-diet health at every size perspective is incredibly crucial and important in your journey because otherwise it can feel like you're the only one who is starting to embrace your body and accept your body and take care of health in ways that are truly health promoting. So like eating vegetables, exercising, drinking water, getting adequate sleep, like all of these things are good for your health, whether you lose weight or not. And cleaning up your environment and advocating for yourself to the best of your ability. Yeah, that's perfect. And also just to add that it takes time, right? Yeah. I mean, when you've been exposed to this for so long, since you were tiny itty bitty and from so many different people, friends, family, healthcare providers, everybody in the media, to change this paradigm is going to take time. And some days are going to feel easier than others. Some days it's going to be tempting to be like, you know what? They're right. I, my body's too large. I'm unhealthy. I need to go on a diet immediately, <laughs> you know, cause it's, it's such for so many women, it's such a habit to just continuously go on a diet and it feels safe and it feels comforting. And you feel like you're going to get to join that quote in crowd where everything is perfect and life is happy all the time, you know, that this fantasy that we've been told is part of being thin and quote healthy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think that those are all really, really great tips. Um, and I think the other thing I wanted to say is how whenever you went through your journey and you started developing this anger for the food companies, that's what I did with this whole thin ideal, this whole culture that we have is I had to almost develop like this attitude problem against the way that we eat. Cause I'm a physician, you know, so I've been indoctrinated for several different ways as a physician too, in counseling patients that they need to lose weight or telling their kids that they need to lose weight. So I had to kind of rebel against that whole system in order to make it work for me and become an advocate, not just for myself, but for other people. So yeah, I think that those are all great tips. And something you had touched on, like we had talked about like the institutionalized fat phobia, right? You have, you were trained, you were like educated mm -hmm. deeply for years on this paradigm of, of thinness and weight loss being a, a, a key marker for health, but you had also touched on the societal implications briefly of like, there's like a real payoff in society. Like there really, like there really is judgments cast upon people based on what they look like. So it's not just like, Oh, I need to lose weight for my health, but there's also this element of like being accepted being loved, being safe from being picked on. You know, I had listened to your podcast before this recording and you had told, you had told the story about something in grade school where the, where the girls had, girls had made a comment to you. Mm -hmm. And there's also this like real payoff to try to conform so that you can avoid mm -hmm. being treated like you're less than simply because of what you look like. So like getting, I love that you had said, like you had to get angry about what, what, the thin ideal that you were trained in 
in medical school, I got angry about the food system. I also think for some of us, we have to get angry about the way that our bodies are judged and treated unfairly as well. And I I do think in a lot of ways, like anger is a very transformative emotion because it gets us out of shame and guilt. Yeah. And once you get to anger, anger is something that can put you in action to, to make changes. And that will get you to those higher level emotions of like, you know, joy and acceptance and happiness and all of those things. I love it. Now we're talking vibrational energy. <laughs> That's great. No, no, I think that um, there's definitely a shift. And I see that the community is growing of people who are rejecting this, this standard that we want to set for society. And I'll take it even a step further because this is even way more controversial in healthism too. You know, and, and I'm just now starting to talk about it a little bit because I think being in the plant-based community, we glorify health, right? So you eat this way, you're going to be healthy. You're going to live like 30 bazillion years. <laughs> Nothing ever is going to happen to you. You're definitely not going to get cancer or diabetes, <laughs> but guess what? That still happens to some people. So is there something wrong with them? Did they not do the diet right? So I think what I'm starting to focus on more is not even health, but well-being, because even if something does unfortunately happen to your body, you know, bad things happen sometimes, we can still try to reach a state of well-being when we don't have perfect health. And we're just not, I mean, something is eventually going to happen to everybody and we're all eventually going to die. And even if we do live 30 million years. (laughs) So I think that, um, you know, this whole judgment and shame it can take lots of different faces, not just our size, but our health, what we look like in other ways. So I think it's a very important conversation to talk about and to be open about and to advocate for each other. Because a lot of us have the similar goal of that we want to be happy, regardless of our size or our health. So little little bit of a political <laughs> political direction there yeah. but i want to switch gears because i want to talk about buddha bowls cuz that sounds like fun what is a buddha bowl great question love buddha bowls so my inter- my understanding of a buddha bowl is it is a bowl and it has grains. It has some like yummy, delicious carbs, like sweet potatoes or broccoli or something. You'll have like mixed greens and it's a bowl that has like an, a wide array of ingredients. So it's not like just pasta with sauce on top, but it's like a, a variety of ingredients and it comes with like a yummy sauce. And I really love them because there's a lot of room for creativity of like using mm-hmm. all these different types of ingredients. You can just use whatever's left in the fridge or you can follow a recipe and they are like a canvas for you to create whatever kind of meal, any type of cuisine you can mix and match cuisines if you like. And they're really photogenic for Instagram as well. So that's an added bonus. (laughs) It's like totally the Instagram thing, right? Like either a smoothie bowl or a Buddha bowl. (laughs) It's like the Instagram cover. That's awesome. So how did you discover bootable? Is it because you just like to eat them all the time or why did you write a book about it? So I definitely discovered them on Instagram. My, uh, um, one of the recipes that I have in the cookbook is like the classic bootable. Like the, I think I call it the OG bootable. It's like the first, it's like the bootable that started all bootables. And I think I was just drawn to them aesthetically 
and the fact that like you could put whatever you wanted in them. And then the other component of it is because there are some bowls in the book that aren't technically bootables. So there's like some soups, there's some pastas, um, and some salads, but it was that eating. I always find myself eating out of bowls, like truly, like I'm always eating out of a bowl. Like I even put a piece of, I'll put a piece of toast, like avocado toast with like my mixed greens or whatever in a bowl. (laughs) So it's just kind of like when I was talking with the publishers, there's like, do you want to write a book about foods that go in bowls? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) So I love it. That's funny because I feel like this is how I eat all the time too. Like my favorite utensil is a spoon and I love bowls and my husband just calls it yummy food. So basically anything you can put in a bowl. So I don't know if I can technically call them Buddha bowls, but basically I do the same thing. I put my greens and my grains and my beans and a sauce. And it just works, right? Because you can just use whatever you have or batch cook for the week and have your ingredients in the fridge. So what would you say is your all-time favorite combination for a Buddha bowl? Oh gosh. Wow. What a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I, I love anything with avocados. I'm in California. Um, Definitely like one of the reasons I love living here is the access to delicious avocados. Um, Well, and just for the listeners to know, she's not kidding because I can see her and behind her, there's actually a full size portrait of an avocado. (laughs) And my headphones have avocados on them. So, And your headphones. Yes. I love it. (laughs) Um, So my favorite combination is right along with what you were saying, something that like has some really grounding ingredients. So beans, a grain. I love quinoa. It's one of my favorite grains, partly because it's, it's cooks much quicker than rice. I like Mm -hmm. am an Aries don't have like the most patience in the world. So I'm like, okay, quinoa is done in 12 minutes as opposed to like, you know, 30 to 40 for brown rice, um, mixed greens, whether that's like massage kale, sauteed kale, any other type of mixed greens with some dressing. I love, uh, garbanzo beans, sweet potatoes, I, and like a tahini dressing. I'd probably say one of my favorite combination is like the classic Buddha bowl, which is that it's like sweet mm. potatoes, garbanzo beans, avocado, sauteed kale, and, um, like a tahini dressing. It's like simple, classic, yeah. good, approachable ingredients that most of us are familiar with and pretty easy to make. Yeah. So would you say that the Buddha bowl is probably a good way for people that aren't used to eating more whole foods. Is that a good introduction for them to start playing around with different bootables? Yeah. Cause there's a lot of flexibility involved. So you could just literally start with the ingredients that you already recognize, right? Like you could literally like turn your taco salad into a bootable just put it in a bowl mm-hmm. with like some cabbage and, you know, Spanish style rice and black beans and pico de gallo and some guacamole. And there you have it. That's a bootable. <laughs> yeah. yeah hungry now. Well, I can't wait to get your book because that definitely aligns with the way that I eat. And I love anything that also is not complicated. So (laughs) I think Buddha bowls are nice because they're pretty simple. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, I'm going to switch gears again and talk about body acceptance, but also self-love. I think that sometimes we get a little bit Um, confused about this concept. So I'm wondering if you can talk about the difference between body acceptance and self-love and body confidence and where can somebody start if they're at the beginning of their journey, they're recovering from 
either an eating disorder or disordered eating? Yeah, this is such a great question. And I think that body acceptance and like body respect and body trust don't necessarily require you to like love the way that you look in the mirror. And I think that a lot of us can confuse self-love or even body love or loving your body, meaning I love the way my body looks. And when I think about what the word love actually means, if I think about it like, oh, why do I love my, my mom, for example, I love her regardless of what she looks like. Like I love her because she gave life to me. She's my support system. She's someone who is there for me. And I don't love her because of what she looks like. It like has very little to do with why I love her is because of what she looks like. So then if I turn that on my body, can I love my body for how my body shows up for me every single day? For the fact that my body is always working really hard with like my lungs and my digestion and my brain and all of my organ function. Can I love the fact that it allows me to run and to hike and to travel and to like hug my partner and to dance? Like, can I love my body for all of these things? So when I think about body love, I like to think of it as not really being, I look in the mirror and I love the way my look I look because that's really hard. It's really challenging in a culture that has told us that there's one right way to look, that there's one body that's the ideal and that's attractive. So it can be challenging, especially in the beginning. And so if you're just starting out, I think it's okay to give yourself permission to not love the way that you look. It's okay. And it's possible that you can get there. Even if you don't fit the ideal, is it possible that through time and through the healing and through the recovery process, you can get to a place where you actually look in the mirror and like what you see? Absolutely. And in the beginning, it's okay if you're not there. You're not doing anything wrong. You're not like failing at this body respect, body neutrality thing. I think one of the things that we can do in the beginning is also just grant our body a truce. Can we just look at it neutral? Like, this is just what my body looks like today. The sky is blue and this is what I look like and just be neutral to it and try to not have it impact our mood so much. Not have it be that like, I look this way, therefore I'm a bad person. I'm crappy. I'm gross. I'm unlovable, et cetera. But can we look at it and be like, this is just what I look like today, period. And start there, start with neutrality, start. So that's what I think acceptance is, is that we get to, we're trying not, we're not actively hating it or shaming it or trying to change it, but we're working on being okay with what it looks like. And okay doesn't mean I love the way it looks. It just means I accept the way that it looks right now. And then I think, again, community is incredibly important. And I think another component of this is also what is referred to as exposure therapy. And that's where you actually look at images of diverse body types. I think that this is an incredibly scientifically documented way to to support body image is looking at images of women who have bodies like yours that are bigger than yours. And you can find a ton of people online on Instagram in this anti-diet community who, who don't fit the ideal and they're being adored. They're being appreciated for Lizzo, for example, she like owns her body. She's confident. She's like having a great time and you can start to shift your perspective of what is okay. And it will have an impact on how you see yourself in the mirror. So I think that that's also a really great tool to start utilizing is diversify the images that you're looking at. Mm -hmm. I love that tip. And I actually did that. So when I gave up dieting for good and I'm like, all right, this is it. You 
unfollow all the accounts that promote the thin ideal and say you need to lose weight to be healthy and those kinds of things. Then you start following a diversity of different people. And it's, it's almost like you're reprogramming your brain. Because I think that one thing that's really interesting about social media is that whenever we're seeing the same thing over and over again, that becomes your lived reality, right? So your that's like your consciousness, like your brain thinks that's all that exists, but it's not really all that exists. I mean, that's just like a very small population of people that look like that. The majority of people look like everything else, right? There is so much diversity in the world. So I think that's really important. Um, that's such a great tip. And I haven't even thought about telling other people as a recommendation of something that they can try. The other thing that I would add too, that when it comes to body acceptance, self-love, confidence, respect, all of those things, it's a dynamic process. So one day you're like, whoa, I feel amazing. Wow. I, I finally got this. I'm all over this. And the next day you're just like, oh, so hard. And I think on those days, it's important to take a step back and purposely, deliberately get into that neutrality place. Instead of saying, I'm so fat, I have fat. There is fat on my body. Yes, it's fat. You know, And just making it more of a neutral statement in your head and redirecting those thoughts because some days are going to be way harder than others. It is definitely dynamic. And I think too, it changes with our hormones. The other thing that as females we have to encounter is the fact that as our cycles change, there's some days that we're going to feel more confident and some days where it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Do you find that too with yourself and your clients? Yeah. 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 Like the week before their periods is often a very triggering week. You know, like if the bloating starts occurring or if they start noticing that they're craving more chocolates, absolutely. And I loved what you had said that you're going to have good days and bad days. You know, Stephanie Webb, another nutritionist that I love says that like bad body image days are like bad hair days that like <laughs> you just get them sometimes. And can we try not to make it such an emergency? And, and yeah. like you said, take that moment for self-reflection to pause and to check in and be like, okay, I have fat. It's not that I'm this negative descriptor that we've made fat mean. And also compassion. I think compassion is like ingredient number one in getting through this for yourself and being gentle and kind because that negative self-talk that we all get ourselves into because of everything that we're exposed to in the world around what our bodies are supposed to look like is something that we have to soften and, and approach with that compassion and to be easier on ourselves and give ourselves a break um, is an integral part of getting to that confidence that we all want. And like you said, to know that it's not always going to be perfect in sunshine and rainbows that everybody has bad days and that's okay. Yeah. And I think going back to what you said at the beginning of the interview in focusing on self-care during those times too, I know that on the days where I feel like that all bloated and ugh, you know, like that, then I make sure I wear the comfiest clothes I have and, you know, take long, hot showers and do my meditation and yoga and get my exercise in. And usually that mood shifts so rapidly, much faster than I would even think, instead of just sitting there and wallowing in that feeling, what can you do to help yourself feel better? Things that you know work, what can you do? And usually it does work for me. Mm, yeah. You just have to ask yourself, what do I need right now? What's going to make me feel better? Mm -hmm. What's going to help? How can I take care of myself? I think sometimes we forget to ask ourselves those questions and we just like immediately spiral into beating ourselves up as opposed to being like tuning in and asking, 
how can I take care of myself? So I love the sweatpants idea, whatever it is, you know, yoga pants. All right. Great. I mean, definitely it's a complicated issue and it's not always straightforward. So I wanted to address that because I think that some people expect that they should just immediately just automatically love their bodies and be like, Oh, everything's perfect. And it's not always going to be like that. Yeah. Kara, what do you wish more people knew? Mm, I wish more people knew about the conversations that we're having. I wish more people have had awareness around like the health at every size and the body respect paradigm, because I think that I've created and insulated myself in this really lovely, like anti-diet body acceptance community. And then like, I'll go to parties or go out in the world and I'm like, Oh wow. Yeah. Lots of us are still really, really still caught up in diet culture and in that paradigm. And so I wish more people were knew about this because I think that that would benefit all of us in so many ways. Yeah. Well, you're definitely doing your part. So thank you so much. And I agree. There's so much suffering, so much unnecessary suffering. And what I like to think about is just the cumulative passion and love and talent that so many of us have, but we're using that energy and directing it against us. You know, like so much potential loss because we're so focused on dieting and getting to the quote perfect size. And that's what I, I also agree with you. I just wish that more of us could see the light and be like, you know what? I'm not going to waste my time and energy on this anymore. There's so much more out in the world. So as you can tell, I'm very passionate. Can't stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah. So what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it? And how do you maintain it? Mm. Okay. I have, I have two. Um, one of them is the amount of water I drink. So I just think historically I was like an iced tea, soda, coffee girl, and probably through recovery, I start, I shifted to water and I just notice that I have like more energy and my digestion is better. Like my bowel movements are more consistent. I like don't get headaches as often. I sleep better because I, I'm not drinking as much caffeine and I've shifted to water and I just like love it now. I think it's amazing. Um, so I think it just like happened when I decided to like not drink diet soda. So I was drinking diet soda to like, you know, stay thin and not eat. And I shifted away from that and traded it for water. And that's been amazing. Um, and then gosh, another habit. I always try to prioritize play. Like I always try to have fun as like a high achieving, like self-described type A personality. I can definitely get into working way too much and burning out. And so something that I've really focused on the last like three years is how can I have more fun and joy in my life? And does that mean I'm going to Disneyland? Does that mean I'm taking Friday afternoon off? Does that mean I'm going to the movies more prioritizing date night? Like just have trying to have more fun because it's really easy to get caught up and just like working all of the time. And and not just enjoying life. Yeah. So how did I get yeah, into that? Oh my gosh. How did I get into that? That was the other part of that question. Um, burning out and realizing that I was burning out too much. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that happens with type A's. I can identify with that, definitely. So what are your favorite ways to play? I think I, I'm just asking because I need more tips. Yeah, great. <laughs> oh gosh, for me, like playing, like what, for me, an example of that is getting into the kitchen and having fun. Like I love, I feel so lucky to live in Southern California where we have like beautiful, beautiful farmer's markets year round. And so going and finding fun ingredients and getting inspired and making something is definitely a form of play and creative self-expression for me. I had mentioned going to Disneyland, um, reading a book for fun. Like very, most often if I'm reading, it's because I'm like trying to learn something to like make me a better health coach or to, you know, educate me, you know, something like that. So reading and watching TV for fun and giving myself permission to Netflix and chill without beating myself up. Cause so often I'll like relax on the couch and then shame myself for it. That was like an old pattern. So like the rest wasn't productive. So like really giving myself permission to take time off or to just like hang out in front of the TV. And then, uh, let's see. Live music is another favorite in dancing. Oh, those all sound wonderful. Love it. Okay, well, let's talk about what products and services you offer and how listeners can connect with you. Mm. So I'm at Kara's Kitchen on Instagram, Kara with a C, Kitchen with a K. Uh, it's also my website, karaskitchen.net. And I have my cookbook that just came out. We've talked about it a few times on this podcast that just came out today, actually, that we're recording this. And that's Vegan Buddha Bowls. It's wherever books are sold. And then I work with people as a health coach and help people step out of diet culture and reconnect to intuitive eating and their woven in wisdom of their bodies. And I really find that that in intuition with your body leads to intuition in life. Like it has this really beautiful ripple effect. Um, and then I have a podcast called the Love Your Bod Pod. That's all about intuitive eating, female empowerment, you know, the anti-diet paradigm and yeah, those are the main ways to connect with me. Wow. You're prolific, which is why it's important that you take time to play <laughs> doing a lot of different things. And I can't wait. I'm definitely going to get your book. So that's going to be awesome. Well, if you could leave us with a call to action for my listeners for the week, what do you think that they can do this week? Take some time for themselves to turn inward and check in. And that might mean meditation, that might mean journaling, that might mean just sitting for five minutes without scrolling through your phone and tuning in and listening, asking your body, what do I need? Asking yourself, what do I need? What do I want? And really tuning in and listening and see what comes up. I think that it's really easy to not pay attention and to not listen. And that would be an action item I would invite everybody to do is to take five minutes of silence for themselves every day. Oh, I love it. That's perfect. Anybody can do it. It doesn't require any money. It's free. So find a way to turn inward and tune in whichever preferred method you have for doing that just five minutes every day. You guys can do it. I believe in you. Kara, this has been so great. It has been such a pleasure meeting you. I feel like we're soul sisters. Every time I do a podcast, I swear I fall in love with every single one of my guests. So now I have best friends everywhere. So you have been added to my best friend list. Thank you so much for everything that you do for your love and your compassion and helping so many people find this new way of approaching their body and food and 
Yeah. Thank you. I can't wait yeah. to make some vegan bootables. Thank you. I love talking with you. Yeah. We're in alignment on a lot of things. So this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. Well, I hope that you have a plantastic day. <laughs> thank you. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.